The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. The older you are and the more Christmases you have behind you, the more you reflect on your life and realize the many epoch-making events you can remember having happened within your own lifetime. There are members of this church, perhaps some present tonight, not a great number, I wouldn't think, who would have to be in their 90s to have a conscious remembrance of the great day when Charles Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic in a plane that seems like a great antique to the aviation industry today. There are certainly more among us who can remember a terrible day in early December 1941 when this country was attacked and we were thrust into World War II because of Pearl Harbor. There are quite a few more of us, and I come into the picture now, of those who can remember the other terrible day of President Kennedy's assassination in 1963. How many of us can forget where we were and how we heard that news that changed our country forever? And it's always the the terrible things, isn't it, that we remember? Because even the teenagers here now can think back to a day when we were transfixed by our television screens not so long ago. The unbelievable, the World Trade Towers, burning and falling before our eyes in 2001. It's amazing the great events that one lifetime can contain. And yet, the Bible asks us to believe that the greatest events that ever happened in history all clustered about a particular time just into the very first century A.D., And these events, of course, were around the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because lines of ancient prophecy pointed toward these things, and great lines of meaning come out of this, so that there in that little time of 33 to 36 years converge almost all the lines of history as far as the Bible is concerned. And yet, interestingly, none of those events were on CNN or on the Internet or reported by a newspaper. They were, in fact, even for that time, seen by a relatively small, select number of people. We considered just the other Sunday the birth of Jesus with Mary and Joseph alone present in that not-so-private place, and yet... They were there alone in that animal stall, whatever kind of a place it was, a cave or a stable. And now we look tonight and think about the next phase of that text, as Luke 2 tells about other witnesses that soon came. And as you consider the purpose of Luke as a historian, he's verifying for you by historical witness 
what had happened. He wasn't there. He didn't pretend that Luke himself had been there. And so he relied on the reports that God led him to have from eyewitnesses. It's so hard for us to get inside these things because we've heard them so many times. We think we know, we could almost say by heart that story as I read the, I always read the King James Version on Christmas Eve because it's so precious and so familiar in those words. And, and it just rolls past us like a, a wonderful tale. And we all think we know it so well, and it's hard to stop and look at it again as if you'd never seen it before, but I just ask you to try to do that. Angels appearing, shepherds, dirty workers who didn't smell good, laid out in the field working and not expecting much of their lives, experiencing this stunning event that all the world is interested in. My theme tonight is stated this way, that we see here the most prominent messengers that God could send to the least important human beings meeting in Judea at the very crossroad of history. I want you to think, first of all, about these most prominent messengers that God sent in the person of angels. I was thinking about angels a lot this week. They're certainly important to the Bible, and they're more important in some places than others, and they don't cluster as much around any place in all of the Bible's development as around the birth of Christ. Annunciations to Zechariah, to Mary, to shepherds, and then again, at the resurrection, we see them. And you know, I would say that your belief in angels as part of the historic text of what God was doing in the world, might be called a barometer that would measure the quality of your faith. Because angels are not natural beings. They're supernatural beings. They're like us. When they're encountered in the Bible, most often people think it's, oh, it's just a man. It's just a visitor, a a stranger. And then a double take and, oh, wait a minute. It's not just a man. So they don't look so otherworldly at first glance. They normally don't have wings. Sorry about that, Clarence. But there are a few examples of angels with wings in the Bible, but most do not. And so here are these beings who appear outwardly like ourselves, and yet they're not from where we are from, and they don't live exactly the way we live, and and we are given to understand that they see the face of God and serve God in remarkable ways. Now, this is too much for some people. Uh, They say, well, you know, Christmas is great. There are many things to love about Christmas. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy Christmas. And they say, you know, it's, it's all those things that the Bible brings in like angels. You might as well bring in leprechauns or unicorns or something. I just can't take this angel stuff. It stretches my rational powers a little bit too much. It's too removed from the, the real world, as people would say it, that I live in, the world that I can see and touch and, and scientifically examine. 
Well, I would say to you that acceptance of angels as beings created by God who do interact and have interacted with our world is part of the whole package of embracing a supernatural revelation from God that this book contains. Unfortunately, you can't select and say, well, I'll just take, you know, the parts that can be materially verified push all that supernatural stuff aside. What are you pushing aside? Every miracle of the Bible? You're pushing aside the divine nature of Jesus Christ, for if you're removing the supernatural, you might as well reject Christ for what he is. I want to say to those people who are pure materialists who say, I only believe what I can see and measure, you probably need to deny the existence of atoms because you've never seen one. You ought to deny electricity. You can't see it. And while you're at it, deny the existence of the wind. I don't think you've ever seen that either. You've only seen its effects. There is indeed an otherworldly and supernatural dimension to the world that God has made. And every now and then he lifts the curtain and lets us see a bit of it. We're told how these angels reflected the glory of God. And that's a term that that just can't be broken down. What does glory look like? A blaze of light? It's just that it's something absolutely not from this world. And that's why people are always shrinking back when they're encountering angels. There's always an element of fear. For if you would encounter a being who lives before God and is not a sinner in God's sight. God doesn't, didn't, die, didn't send his son to die for angels, Hebrews tells us. It wasn't necessary. Here are these beings that live before God and, and must in their, their very appearance carry some kind of an aura or an afterglow of being with God. And so they always have to say, the first thing out of their mouths is always the same phrase, don't be afraid. Because human beings are always sure these, these guys are here to judge us. I feel dirty around them. They must be here to bring me the judgment of God. Well, thankfully, they weren't on that occasion, were they? Don't be afraid. It's a joyful thing I've come to tell you about. Whether your personal faith accepts them or not, The Gospels do claim that God sent angelic beings who knew Christ as their Lord in his preexistent glory to be his messengers. I just think that they themselves had some kind of an amazement in their minds as they saw what was going on. And they announced this truth. They themselves were full of wonder. What is my Lord doing? even as they told it to men of earth. Well, they were the prominent messengers, but in the second place, I want you to see who they spoke to, the least important of all human beings, at least as far as Judea was concerned. And Judea was one of the least important places in the Roman Empire. It was the backwater of the empire. When Roman leaders got assigned to Judea, that was like, oh, man, Siberia. Don't want to go there. So here are some of the least important people in one of the least important or conspicuous places. 
And we might ask the question, why shepherds anyway? I've asked that. You know, Joseph could have used some encouragement. Maybe the Lord could have made his revelation to the Nazareth Carpenters Union meeting and would have brought a little cheer to Joseph's fellow construction workers. They were tecton in the Greek. That means anyone who does something technical. They, they might have been stonemasons, builders, contractors, carpenters. They built things. It would have been good to have, for Joseph to have some encouragement from his fellow workers and friends. Why didn't the angels appear to them? Well, there is a reason. And the reason is, we surmise, because shepherds were really the bottom of the occupational totem pole and the societal totem pole of that day. They were hired to do work that nobody really wanted to do. You had to live outside. You had to fend off predators and thieves and bandits. You had to deal with animals who were cantankerous and hard to lead and who contracted strange diseases. It was entry-level labor that people didn't want to stay in any longer than they had to. If you can't picture it, it's exactly the kind of thing that we get illegal immigrants to do in this country. What do illegal immigrants do? You think about it, and that's being a shepherd. In that day, they were thought of as the same as vagrants, gypsies. They were called thieves. Maybe some of them were. And the laws of Israel, now this isn't a law from God, but a law that the Israelite courts had made was this. Very interesting. Testimony in a court in Israel could not be accepted in any case from a shepherd. Isn't that amazing? They just said, well, anybody that occupies, that does that occupation is so low a person that we can't expect them to tell the truth. They're liars and thieves. So they can't even testify in a court. Now you have that in mind. And think about that. How like our God is it to choose the shepherds? The guys who couldn't even be trusted to tell the truth in a civil case of law in a court. God said, I will let you be the ones who bear witness to my divine son. I will let you be the first in his cradle room. I will let you tell the world. What was God saying? It seems to me he was saying that this great thing he was doing was for the lowest of low people. Any man or woman, but someone who had to be brought low first, who didn't have any pride in their resume, their bank account, their religious achievements, social standing, none of that. Somebody who was absolutely low. And remember, after all, this child being announced was the child whose ministry went to who? Lepers. Women of the streets. A man plagued by demons. A woman made ceremonially unclean by a flow of blood for years. Those are God's people. And there's news contained in this. God didn't come for the folks who think they are already good. He didn't come for the folks who are self-satisfied. 
He came for the lowest of the low who were also conscious of that fact that they were at the bottom of the heap because to them he could be readily accepted as a savior. Paul later wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and he reminded his disciples in Corinth Not many of you were wise by human standards when God called you. Not many of you were influential or of noble birth. But God, he said, chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the lowly, despised things to shame what is great. Now, are you getting the picture? The most prominent messengers, beings from heaven, speaking to the least important human beings and doing it at the crossroad of earth's history. There's something very important that doesn't always get emphasized in our familiar text. Luke 2.11 says, the news that was given, today in the town of David, there's three very important words you've got to hear in Luke 2.11. A Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Oh, you say, sure, I've heard that a thousand times. Well, believe me, nobody had ever heard that before. Not those three titles conferred upon one person. Savior, Christ, Lord. First time in the Bible. And one of the very few times in the Bible that they are applied to one person. Savior, a person who could deliver, a mighty warrior, someone who could come to weak and helpless people and rescue them. Christ means anointed one. It's a synonym for Messiah. The one Israel looked for is the fulfillment of prophecy. Lord is the biggest title of all. It's got a a three-letter definition, G-O-D. Lord means God. Savior, Christ, Lord, in one person, a little baby in a feed box. That's the sign. Go find him. You won't find any other baby in a feed box in little Bethlehem, that's for sure. And there's nobody else in the whole Bible that is ever asked to wear all three of those titles, a Savior, the Messiah of Israel, and God. And so if there is someone who rightly wears those titles, he is certainly the most important person who's ever walked in the world. And so again, my thesis, the most prominent messengers God could send met the lowest, least important human beings in Judea at the crossroad of human history. And whenever you or I meet this same person It's the decisive crossroad of our lives. Your life comes to a fork when you confront Christ. Sometimes people aren't even aware of it because they simply make no decision about Christ. They pass by him indifferently, but no decision is actually a decision. And they move on past him, and they do nothing with him, and just continue on their way. Now, there are many people, and I would imagine just simply the law of averages and the fact that I don't know a lot of you, that we always have many folks I don't know here on Christmas Eve. The law of averages tells me that some of these people are present tonight because they're everywhere. 
people who think Christmas is a great story. As stories go, there's hardly any better story. It's full of wonderful sentiment. It's got a baby at the center of it. It, it, It's got wonderful music surrounding it. And people say, you know, every once in a while I just like to look in on this story. It makes me all warm and cozy to do it. But, now they don't say this, but it's going on in their brain. I am too intellectually sophisticated to actually believe all that. You don't want me to think that in some moment of real history, like 2010, angels appeared and told somebody to do something, Uh, that a woman who had never known a man had a child. Eh, I'm a scientist. I'm a thinker. I I can't go there, people say. I I love to kind of come near the story and hear it told, and and if it's, it's good for you and it makes you all warm and fuzzy, that's good. Just don't ask me to think it's true. What they're really saying is, I don't need saving. I don't need what you're saying Jesus can do. But folks, if you're here tonight as such a person, despite all the good thoughts of Christmas, I have to tell you, I tremble for you. Because the way of such a person is a way into everlasting darkness making no decision at the crossroad of your life about this person is making a decision to ignore him, to leave him alone, and not to accept the benefit that he offers. And there's just one way to meet the real Christ at the crossroad of life, and here's the secret. You have to be low enough. You see, that's the lesson of the shepherds, guys who don't smell good, guys who you wouldn't hire, to work in your business, that's the lesson. They were low enough. They couldn't go any lower. Life had beat them up for one reason or another. They'd been through every kind of rough thing. Maybe some of them had been in jail, committed crimes. But they were low. And God knew when you're that low, and God speaks to you, you listen. And they listened, and they obeyed, and they ran, and they saw, and they told, and they came away absolutely different men. Now, maybe you say to me, all right, are you telling me I've got to be like a shepherd and throw out my education and and my intellect and, and kind of park my mind at the door of the church? No, sir. Think of some other people who came soon after. They were called Magoi, Eastern philosophers, men who, if they were in our society, would have probably two or three PhDs apiece in science, in philosophy, in ancient literature, in astrology, you name it. They were into it. Very smart people. And read in Matthew what it says they did when they came and saw the child They bowed low. They became low. They weren't low to start out with, but they became low. Ladies and gentlemen, I have one Christmas wish to say to you because I'm speaking, I'm sure. If I only speak to, if there's five people here who I'm speaking to, that's all right. The person who life has kicked around, 
Life has left scars on you. You're low in spirit. You say, what is there to be happy about? You're bruised by relationships that are all messed up. You've done very stupid things. You've hurt other people, and you've hurt yourself. Guess what? God's got you when you're low. And you're low enough, I hope, to have a shepherd's eye view of the one that God sent as a Savior, Christ the Lord. You can put your trust in this one. He went to a cross for you. He rose from the dead for you. He lives today for you. Get low enough to bow before him, and your life will never, ever be the same again. I promise you. Thanks be to God. Our Father, we pray. We could be small enough and shed some of our jaded, sophisticated, 21st century, know-it-all attitude to see the simplicity and power of what you did when you invaded history in a baby. Thank you for Jesus Christ. We worship him. We thank you for him. Teach us to trust him, the living Lord and Savior. Amen.